many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. My guest this morning is a CEO coach, a keynote speaker, a published author, a former university professor, and an entrepreneur herself. She holds a PhD in business from Canterbury University in New Zealand, and she co-authored the, uh, the Talent Advantage. My guest this morning is Dr. Nancy McKay, founder and CEO of McKay CEO Forms. Would you have to love their kind of slogan, populating the world with inspiring leaders. Good morning, Nancy, and welcome to Taking Care of Business. Good morning, David. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> um, you know, thank you for being my guest this morning. I know we are not in the same studio. You're in Vancouver, wonderful Vancouver, lovely Vancouver, and I'm in Calgary. Um, I hope you have your coffee, you had or you're having your coffee with you so we can have a very nice interview. I've had my coffee. I'm all set to go, David. <laughs> okay. So, Nancy, usually, um, you know, you are the person who interviews and asks questions on your uh, weekly podcast, The CEO Edge. Today, we're going to switch roles, and I'm going to ask the questions, and uh, I know you're going to be ready for that. Before we start, you know, when I was going through and preparing, um, I read the slogan, Populating the World with Inspiring Leaders, like five times at least, or maybe even 15 times. And it hit me, and, and I'm going to ask you a completely off-topic question to start. We just had elections in uh, in Alberta, and uh, people already started talking about the elections coming uh, in October, the federal elections, and, uh, you know, everybody's talking about elections in other countries with, with, uh, with all the media involved in every country today. And one thing I've noticed that when, when, uh, when we grew up, we had we called them leaders. Now we call them politicians. Did you notice that? Well, as you know, David, at Macasio Forms, we're all about judgment-free leadership. And how do we create a world where people are free to speak their truth and, and do the very best to show up as inspiring leaders? And so, you know, from my perspective, I just feel like if we could just all jump out of bed every day and make the biggest contribution and stop spreading the negativity virus and making people wrong, uh, but instead honoring that we may not have the same point of view, uh, but we all have a common purpose, which is show up and make the biggest contribution and not spread the negativity virus. So I think that holds true, whether it's uh, politics or business or in any sector. It's we just need people to be showing up every day as inspiring leaders. Okay, so let's dive into uh, Nancy McKay and Nancy McKay's journey and and the whole uh, McKay CEO forum. Um, So where's Nancy from? I know Vancouver is now home, but was it always home? Uh, You grew up there? No, I grew up in a little town called Welland, Ontario, near Niagara Falls, and uh, I grew up in a strict Italian Catholic family in a very small uh, Italian community. In fact, uh, that was my first language, and when I went off to school, I had to learn how to speak English, and 
uh, that became uh, my journey of learning that, you know, you have to just be open to what shows up in life and adjust and make the most versus, you know, see it as a negative thing. And um, so you went to school in uh, Ontario and, and, and grew up as a kid in Ontario. What kind of a kid were you? Were you kind of active? Were you a, a bookworm? Um, describe a little bit of that at childhood. Well, I was always a high-energy kid. I loved school. I loved all the sports that I, I played, basketball and volleyball and badminton, all the different sports. I was on students' council. I was always a very high-energy uh, kid. And uh, so I grew up in Welland. I went off to the University of Waterloo uh, to do my first two degrees in uh, business and information systems. I did a master's in management uh, sciences. And then I went off to New Zealand to uh, do my Ph.D. in the early 90s. So I was always, you know, I loved school. I, I was always a learner and uh, always loved doing, you know, making the most of every day. So, so how come a, a good Italian girl, a Catholic Italian girl, goes to New Zealand and not to Milano, for example, for a, for a PhD? Yeah, well, I just one day got an email from someone in New Zealand saying, we'd like to invite you to apply for a job in New Zealand to teach at the university and do your PhD part-time. And I thought, you know, New Zealand is in the South Pacific. It's, I'm sure it's a hot tropical country and and so off I went to the interview and realized it actually wasn't a hot tropical country but it was an amazing country that uh, really was grateful for expats and Canadians coming to, to New Zealand and you know getting their PhDs and making a contribution to their education system so so it was a fabulous opportunity I've traveled all over Italy many times but uh, never worked in Italy <laughs> how many years did you spend in New Zealand I was there for three years in the early 90s. I taught and I did my PhD part-time before moving back to Canada. I, I, that's how I got to Vancouver. I got uh, an opportunity to do a sabbatical at UBC here in Vancouver. And within two weeks of being in Vancouver, I called my boss in New Zealand and said, I'm staying here in Vancouver. I've, I found my home base. I, I just can't come back to New Zealand. So, and I've been here in Vancouver ever since. Oh, what was it? The weather, the better, the good weather, the in in Vancouver. What drove you? Well, to, it's kind of rainy, <laughs> as you know. It's kind of rainy in Vancouver, but it was just the whole. It's just a beautiful part of the world, and so and it's got everything you'd want in a city where we have all the you know sports teams and the various music and culture and everything else, and and it's uh, you know it's just a very uh, high energy outdoor lifestyle type of a culture. Um, Nancy, you know, you, you kind of jumped into uh, getting to New Zealand and a PhD, but when, when did, uh, you know, uh, management sciences and, and business management and behavior became kind of your passion? Is it during the first, uh, you know, uh, few years in Waterloo or was it later? How did, you be, how did it become your passion? Well, my first degree at the University of Waterloo was a B-math. And I originally went off to university thinking I was going to go into math and computer science and something technical. And, and then, you know, during my first and second year where I was 
locked up in the computer lab. I could see all kinds of people loving it and staying up till midnight with the punch cards way back then. And I was just bored and it wasn't, I wasn't excited about, you know, spending 24 hours in front of a computer. And I was very fortunate that I was a co-op student at the University of Waterloo. So every four months I would go off on a work term and, you know, gain work experience and that's when I learned that I actually love business and people a lot more than, you know, computers and math and what have you. So really it was through my co-op program and my first degree that I realized my love for people. And then I decided that I would go into, uh, I mean, I got a job at the University of Waterloo and I taught there and did my master's degree part-time. And because I loved people and I started to get interested in leadership, I decided to do my master's degree in uh, management sciences and uh, and took that path. Mm-hmm. Um, during your co-op time, what kind of jobs did you get? Well, the first few years, the co-op terms were, you know, computer-type jobs. Okay. And that's when I learned that I really didn't like sitting in front of a computer. And then I started to get into marketing-type jobs and jobs that would require people skills in different types of businesses. So I got to see big businesses and small businesses and government, what have you. And then that's when I realized, you know, I love business and I love, uh, you know, working with people. Uh, they're my mm-hmm. passion. So why not study people and, you know, how can I help people be successful and, uh, and in particular in business, which is, uh, I love the game of business. And so that seemed to work well through my master's and then on to my PhD. Um, between your master's and PhD, did you get a kind of a solid uh, kind of a job or you went straight to New Zealand after you uh, got your master's degree? Yeah, because my master's degree, I did it part-time. It's part of just, I've, I think it was this co-op that got me into the mindset of, you know, I can work and I can study and it's all happening at the same time. So then I decided to do my master's degree part-time. So I worked full-time as a lecturer at the University of Waterloo and I did my master's degree part-time at the university and they funded it, which was fantastic. And then I got invited to apply for a job in New Zealand teaching at the university and the condition actually of taking that job at the university was I would have to get a PhD and do that part-time. And so given that I signed up for a three-year contract uh, in New Zealand, I decided I would teach and work full-time and get my PhD part-time so that I could come back to Canada, which, uh, you know, I, I love Canada and, and I knew I wasn't going to stay in New Zealand forever. There's <laughs> only 3 million people and 85 million sheep and it was very far <laughs> from from uh, the world that I was used to. So I wanted to honor my commitment and make that happen and, and then come back to Canada. Um, now, I have a question. You, you mentioned earlier that you're during uh, your uh, younger age, you were very kind of active and involved in, in school activity and sports during university and doing the co-op and studying and teaching. Was there any time for extracurriculum as well? Well, I always, you know, extracurriculum for me was all the sports that I did and volunteer. I did a lot of volunteer work and I did a lot of, uh, you know, students council type things. And so mainly the fun for me was the, everything was all fun. I was just a high energy person. I loved 
all aspects of my life. And so when I was playing sports, that was great. When I was working, that was great. I was just, I just, uh, that's just how I've been wired my whole life. <laughs> I see. Um, now, um, we, you get back to Vancouver uh, or to Canada and you settle in Vancouver and you go to um, do a sabbatical at UBC at the University of British Columbia. Um, once you're done with the sabbatical, what's next for Nancy? Well, while I was on my sabbatical, and again, this was in the early 90s, and I was the youngest faculty member uh, by decades. And I remember sitting in the lunchroom having lunch with all these, you know, people who were lifelong academics. And I just thought to myself, I, I don't belong here. I, I need a faster paced. I want to be right in the middle of business. I don't want to just study leadership and do research. I wanted to, you know, get right into the real world and make the biggest impact I could. And so that sabbatical really helped me get clarity around I wanted to uh, transition out of being a full-time academic and uh, to to go into the real world. And that's when I decided I wanted to go into consulting. I had been doing research on business process reengineering back then and how there were a lot of barriers because leaders would resist change and what have you. And so then that's when I started getting into leadership and, you know, how to help leaders become more effective in particular uh, when leading change. And and I started knocking on consulting company doors in Vancouver. And fortunately, I got hired by a company that uh, took a risk on bringing an academic into the real world of, of consulting. And <laughs> and so, yeah. I see. Um, you get into, uh, is there anyone else in the family that is an entrepreneur, parents, uh, siblings, or you are the only one? I'm the only entrepreneur in my family. Oh, wow. Um, so you get a job with this consulting company and you just come from academia. And what was your experience? Like uh, first meetings you had with, with first the people that you had to consult to and you come with basically academia versus uh, actual and reality. I know. I'm really lucky. My boss the guy who hired me, the guy by the name of Al Itzma from Sierra Systems, anytime I see him, I still thank him. Uh, he took a big risk on me. And, uh, of course, uh, Sierra Systems trained uh, me on their methodology of business process reengineering, and it was a big deal at the time where it was new. Michael Hammer had just written his book, and so there was a whole methodology. And, and so I think, you know, all the clients I worked with, this was kind of a new thing for everyone. And uh, so I think the fact that I had a research background and I was uh, really uh, passionate about helping leaders make change happen so that they could have greater success. So, you know, that's really what I did in the early days of my consulting career is I just did a lot of big change projects, whether they were reengineering projects or big SAP uh, technology projects or what have you. I, I spent the first number of years uh, really working with CEOs and top executives on how to speed up the change process. So um, I have a question about change that I was uh, kind of planning to ask you later, but since you brought up this issue, uh, one of the things that I wanted to kind of uh, ask you is, how do uh, CEOs, uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, 
uh, deal or resent change when you put in front of them uh, a mirror? And, and how do you deal with it as a consultant? At the end of the day, it's, consulting is one thing, but execution is, is the key. So is the question, you know, how, how to help people deal with resistance to change or well, how can it, they become more resilient so that they can lead change? Probably it's a two-part question. Um, first of all is how do you as, you as a consultant deal with us, the, the entrepreneurs, the, the business owners that we, we change for us is like who moved my cheese is a big, a big change for us and we usually at the beginning resent it or kind of push back. So how you as a consultant deal with that? Yeah, so I mean I don't do consulting work anymore but back in the day, you know, there it was painful because I would have – you know, CEOs wanting to lead major change initiatives and they had no even basic understanding of how people respond to change and that resistance is a good thing because at least you know the truth about what's going on and that, you know, as human beings, we, we, we are wired to resist change, especially when it's imposed on us. So in the early days, it was just really educating and bringing awareness to, look, resisting change is, is just a normal human behavior, period, end of story, full stop. So as a leader, the more you realize, you know, how you're wired and how you deal with change that's imposed on you and how that goes, you know, leadership starts with self-awareness, right? When you figure out how do you deal with resistance, how do you deal with change, then it's much easier to lead others. It's still tough. Uh, and so one of the key, you know, the language I use is I always say to leaders that are leading major change initiatives, put the shield on. Because when you're leading change, people get upset, they get angry and frustrated and freaked out, and they just say crazy things. And so the more you can put the shield on and not take things personally, uh, that's going to be very helpful in terms of speeding up the change process. Mm-hmm. And and uh, how are people kind of uh, accepting the idea of putting the shield in and, and, and moving towards change? Um, do you have kind of example of, of a success story you had as it, at a time when you did consulting on, on kind of leading change with a company? Well, you know, I remember this one CEO and he he was wanting to speed up decision making in his company. And he was leading a very large global company, you know, thousands of employees. And the number one piece of feedback he got as the CEO of this company was that, that the people at the top were always making all the decisions. And that was slowing down all change initiatives in the company. And he, he saw that feedback and he just lost it. And he just wanted to scream at the employees and find something else to do with his life and like really took it personally. And then I just remember sitting down with him to say, look, you know, here's the typical change process. And, you know, you got to put the shield on. You're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly when you ask for feedback. And this is not easy to do, but the more you realize that at least you got the truth, where the number one key message you got was you got to get your whole top team to put decisions, push decisions down throughout the organization to speed things up. So I just kind of reframed it from him instead of him taking it personally that he and his top team weren't leading effectively and what have you. I just reframed it to say, look, 
All we need to do is in- introduce who has the D language in your company. There's a great Harvard Business Review article called Who Has the D? Uh, who is mm-hmm. the decision maker? And right. that tool, if we can get that across the whole organization, is going to hugely speed up the change process. And people are going to see that you're listening and you took action. So, you know, putting the shield on is an everyday put the shield on, not taking things personally, and realizing that when people are upset and you impose change on them, they're going to resist, and a lot of crazy talk is going to occur. <laughs> I see. So um, <laughs> what led you to start your own business and become an entrepreneur? Was it an event? Was it a person that kind of uh, had an influence on you? What, what, what was the next step to start your own business? Well, when I was in New Zealand, I studied for my PhD. I studied entrepreneurs and, you know, CEOs, uh, and, I, and I did a major national study on what does it take to help CEOs change their behavior around technology. That was my original <clears throat> research. And in that, I got to interview a whole bunch of really interesting entrepreneurs. And I remember that uh, thinking, you know what, one day I'm going to become an entrepreneur because I think it'd be so amazing to be able to create something from nothing and to make a big contribution in the world. And uh, so the, the seed started then and there. And then it was about 15 years ago when uh, we, my husband and I are uh, business partners, and we, this was 15 years ago where we had these two kids that were about to go off to grade school. And my husband was a banker, and I was a professor. And uh, we had dinner one night, and I said, you know what, I think it's time now that the kids are going off to school that... Uh, you should quit your job as a banker. I'll quit my job as a professor. <laughs> we'll become entrepreneurs, and we'll have a lot more fun, make a much bigger contribution, and uh, really enjoy the journey of life. And I remember him saying to me, are you crazy? We have two little kids. We live in Vancouver. <laughs> We've got this huge mortgage. Like, what makes you think we can be entrepreneurs and start up our own company and be successful? And I said, well, you're not having fun as a banker, and I'm getting bored after 15 years of being a professor, so there's got to be something better that we can do with our lives, and so we <laughs> toasted over a bottle of wine, and uh, that's what happened. He quit his job as a banker, I quit my job as a professor, and we started up our own, at the beginning, we started up our own consulting company, and uh, so for the first number of years, it was uh, pre-Macasio Forms, we had a consulting company, so that was the beginning of our entrepreneurial journey. I see. Um, let's talk about McKay-CEO forms. Um, I, I, again, I love the slogan, uh, populating the world with inspiring leaders. So did you find a void in leadership in the business community, in the business world? Well, yeah, because when I was doing my consulting work with a bunch of CEOs and top executives, I could see that it was lonely at the top for CEOs. They didn't have trusted peers that they could talk to about what was going on. They couldn't really talk to their boards uh, because there are certain things that, you know, the board's job is to make sure they've got the right CEO. And so who are they going to talk to? And then I got invited to be a guest speaker at a CEO group meeting here in Vancouver. And I didn't even know what these peer groups were, but one of my clients was was, uh, part of this CEO group. And I did a talk on strategy, and after my presentation, the person that was chairing this peer group of 14 CEOs said, I'm retiring from this role. Would you like to throw your name in the hat to become our chair? 
And that, that changed my life forever because I did throw my name in the hat. Um, they hired me to be their forum chair, and this group still exists today. I'm not their chair anymore, but uh, uh, they hired me to be their chair, and I got a lot of feedback from them in terms of what they really wanted as a group and how to make it the highest impact peer group for them going forward with me as their new chair. And uh, and then I realized, you know what, the world needs more peer groups for CEOs and top executives, and, and that's where I set out to, I had a vision of, I was going to build 10 of these groups across Canada so it wouldn't have to be lonely at the top for CEOs. And so for the first five years, it was just me. And that's what I did. I had mm-hmm. I built these groups across Canada, and we had 10 of these groups across the country, 100 CEOs. And then I woke up and I thought, you know what, if it's just me, I can only help 100 CEOs. But if I can find other people, like our forum chairs that we now have across the country, that in my lifetime, we can help 10,000 uh, CEOs around the world. And then that's when the KCO forms really got started was when I decided that, you know, we were going to partner with forum chairs to build these peer groups across Canada and around the world. Uh, which leads me to my, my next question. Um, you know, uh, McKay has now over a thousand members, and uh, from coast to coast, from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean in Eastern Canada. So, how do you choose? How do you become? How do you choose? How do you uh, select a, a, a kind of a McKay chair? Well, our forum chairs, I believe, are the best go-to people for CEOs and top executives across Canada. They all have their own successful advisory practice, and they have extensive experience working with CEOs and executives in helping them achieve their goals. And so that's the beginning of the types of people who are a great fit for our McCasey Forms chair community. And uh, and then, you know, we go through our whole due diligence process of uh, making sure that if they do become a forum chair, uh, that we, we have a chair certification program and uh, we do everything we can to make sure that they're trained and uh, they have mentoring and peer learning and all these things so that when they're working with our members, they're delivering on our inspire, you know, populating the world with inspiring leaders promise. Um, I, I, I see. And, and how do you measure them? Because, as you said, you're in Vancouver. You're cross-country now uh, from Halifax all the way to uh, Victoria. And how do you measure your uh, chairs ac- across the country? Well, and I'll say we're just about to launch a Newfoundland, which I'm quite excited about uh, <laughs> next month. And so we really are all the way across to uh, the east coast of Canada. And uh, we have feedback forms every meeting every time so that members can provide feedback directly to the chair and we review them as well, our director of member experience. And we also use the net promoter score, uh, confidential anonymous feedback. And so we really do believe that feedback is a gift. And so if we can, you know, continue to get feedback from our members, uh, that's how we can have our chairs, you know, set up for success. We have a whole chair scorecard and certification program and we have master chairs so we have a whole system of how do we ensure that we're supporting our chairs and that they're getting you know I always say it's a lifelong journey as a chair to be the best leader that you can be for our members. 
Nancy, we have to take a short uh, pause for a commercial. As you know, the radio has to uh, sell some commercials. Uh, you can learn more about uh, McKay CEO Forms. Check out uh, the many videos sharing some of the value uh, McKay CEO Forms brings at www.mckayceoforms.com. You can follow them on Facebook and Twitter, as well as connect with them on LinkedIn. We will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with Taking Care of Business, and my guest is Dr. Nancy McKay, founder and CEO of McKay for CEO Forms. Nancy, I have a question for you. you. You mentioned earlier that you were a chair in another organization, and that's how you got into the idea of, uh, you know, maybe having uh, McKay Forms as also with chairs. And I, I understand that our... The, a few organizations targeting CEOs, entrepreneurs, business owners. So what makes McKay CEO Forms unique? What, what is your secret sauce as an organization? Well, our secret sauce really is we position ourselves as the highest impact and least time-intensive peer group because over the years, you know, 15 years of offering peer groups in Canada, we've listened to our members through the anonymous confidential net promoter score feedback and the feedback forms, and they keep telling us year after year after year, 
that what can we do to make every meeting every time the highest impact and can we minimize the amount of time that's required? So we don't meet monthly and we really do focus on having members who are growth uh, oriented. And uh, so that's who we are and uh, we don't meet monthly and we really attract a lot of best managed, most admired leading brand companies uh, because they want to be the best that they can be. And that's our culture and that's who we are. Um. Now that you have uh, established 15 years ago your practice and, and, and grew it into over a thousand members and, and keep on growing, as you mentioned, you're starting a new group in Newfoundland. And what do you see and what is the feedback you, your chairs and you get as the biggest challenge today leaders are facing? Well, the biggest challenge for sure is we live in this exponential change world. And Embracing innovation and technology and showing up as inspiring leaders every day is just so critical to business success in today's world. So the more we can create this amazing community of entrepreneurs and CEOs and top executives who believe that if they uh, come together with their peers, they'll be able to master their time and they'll be able to expand their business network and achieve greater success. And our focus really is how do we help people, given it's an exponential change world, master their time so that they can have incredibly successful careers and not have to sacrifice their health and their families and other important uh, relationships in their lives. So the topic for, of today's show is time mastery, and it's a topic that you are kind of preaching on, on, on probably on that. And um, it's interesting because every time I emailed you, whether it's early in the morning or late at night, you emailed me back within seconds. Um, so how do you deal with time mastery uh, and time management and, and all the other kind of slogans we used for the word time and CEO and, or entrepreneur or business owner? How do we get the balance? Well, I believe that time mastery is a fundamental leadership skill. And we've surveyed hundreds of entrepreneurs and CEOs across the country and asked them to self-assess on how are they doing on time mastery. And the results were just stunning, where we had, you know, 10% indicating they're just a train wreck and they have to literally re-engineer their lives to survive. 10% indicating they're rock stars, that they figured out time mastery, they're good. And 80% of Canadian CEOs, entrepreneurs, people at the top who completed our survey indicated they're trying their best and they really need help with time mastery. And that's, why, that's when we decided we were going to commit to helping the Canadian business community learn how to master their time. And it's just increasingly important as a fundamental leadership skill because when you master your time, you master your life. And when you master your life, that is when you can jump out of bed in the morning and show up every day inspired to make the biggest contribution in all aspects of your life. And if you haven't mastered your time, then it becomes increasingly difficult to show up every day as an inspiring leader. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I get up every morning at 4 a.m. That's my favorite time of day. 
and I am never up late at night, so don't know how I would have ever responded to anything beyond <laughs> 9 p.m. unless I was in a different time zone. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an early morning person. That's part of my time mastery. Uh, but I make sure I go to sleep early so I get enough uh, sleep because that in itself is a time mastery tip for our listeners is that if you're not getting enough sleep, almost impossible to master your time and master your life. So you'll get up at 4 a.m. just because you're on the Pacific Coast time and uh, you have to work with people that are Eastern time, three hours ahead of you? I've always, I've always, you know, like I would play basketball when I was in high school and grade school. We had early morning, you know, 5 a.m. practices, what have you. I've always been an early morning person my whole life. You 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 mentioned that you started uh, in consulting, and um, one of the things I see in in my kind of uh, thirty some years uh, experiences, I see people that work with business coaches, and I see people that uh, belong to one of those uh, groups, whether it's McKay or others. Um, From your experience. Dealing with both, kind of, where do you see is, uh, or what do you see the difference between working one to one with a business coach versus working uh, in a group of uh, peers, in an environment of peers that kind of share, uh, I would say, similar roles that you are. Yeah, well, I'm a huge believer in both, and you know, when I was first starting out and I was coaching CEOs one on one, I realized that they all have the same issues and challenges. And so what if they actually could all sit together in a room and talk about their same issues and challenges and the toughest issues and challenges in business, doesn't matter what size of company you're running, are people issues. So I realized that one-on-one had its limitations because there was only so much I could influence as a coach or consultant or trusted advisor. But when I had them all in the room at the same time, uh, peer influence, I found, was so much more powerful. And they would listen to other people differently and take action in a much uh, faster pace, which is why I shifted from just doing the one-on-one work with CEOs to building these peer groups. Uh, now, I think there's room for both. I have lots of coaches that I currently work with and have over the years and I still chair one of our peer learning groups and that group really has been with me for over 10 years and has been my peer group uh, in addition to me being their chair. So, so I think there's value in both and the difference is with peers, it speeds things up enormously. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, as a coach and, and as a consultant, do you uh, believe that um, business, uh, whether it's a young business or existing business should 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 have the mission, the vision, the purpose, which are words that are very common in today's uh, business environment? Well, I recently started working with uh, Dr. Lance Secretan. He's actually one of our forum chairs in Toronto. And he's written this book called The Bellwether Effect, where he talks about we have a lot of outdated business practices and leadership practices that we have to let go of because they just don't work in an exponential change world. So, you know, as an example, we have our dream is to populate the world with inspiring leaders. 
And so he uses, he introduces a language of dream versus vision and uh, inspiring versus motivating, etc. So I think we really need to take a serious look at how we're leading because so many of our leadership practices are outdated, that the dreaded annual performance reviews that are so demotivating that most companies still use these outdated approaches that waste a lot of time and demotivate people. So I think we have to fundamentally uh, transform how we lead, let go of the old practices, and find new ways to inspire people and, and uh, you know, ongoing feedback, etc. So basically, you're saying that the mission, vision, and purpose that are hanging on the wall is old school. Well, I think a lot of the language and the way we do things is old school. You know, people are still doing long-term strategic planning. And how can you do long-term strategic planning, you know, five years plus in, in a world where everything changes and it's so quickly and it's continued to change? So it's new language. It's new cycle times. It's, it's finding new ways to get new results. Mm-hmm. Um. Interesting. Um, the, the mission, vision, purpose, I, I think that the biggest challenge I've seen in many interviews I've done over the last two years is nobody was able to explain to me yet how do you take them from the wall to the office and to the office floor. And that's why I keep asking the, the, this question about the, uh, whether we need the mission, vision, and purpose or we need um, other ways to uh, communicate. Um, so, uh, interesting to hear that uh, you think we should change some of uh, of the old school uh, way we did. We used to do business. Um, you know, I have uh, one more question that uh, regards to uh, to uh, McCain, uh, kind of a direct. If you today. I take you ten years forward to twenty nineteen. Where do you see McKay? CEO forms in 10 years from now. So it's what you said 2019 and you mean like Sorry, so, 2029. So if we step in, yeah, we stepped into 2029. Well, right. we've always had our dream of 10,000 members around the world and I hope it doesn't take us 10 years to 10x <laughs> the business. Uh, but that is still the the compelling dream is to be able to populate the world with inspiring leaders all over the world. And currently we're focused on Canada because Canada's a huge growth opportunity. I see a huge need in the Canadian business community to help leaders master their time to get them surrounded with successful peers so that they can be leaders in their industries and uh, continue to succeed. So, so that would be our big, hairy, audacious dream is mm-hmm. uh, is ten thousand members around the world? Around the world. So, where is, when is the first uh, international peer group going to start? You'll have to interview me this time next year, maybe, and we'll have that <laughs> mapped out because okay. we're still a huge growth opportunity in Canada. So, we're still focused on Canada over the next year for sure. Okay. Um, so yourself as an entrepreneur, what is your biggest challenge? What is your biggest challenge growing the company? Well, for where we lead a people business, so it's always about how do we continue to attract and retain and develop the best of the best talent. 
whether it's our, our leadership team as we grow and expand uh, our forum chairs. Uh, we just launched our new CEO Trusted Advisor Awards program so that we can recognize uh, the talented team of individuals across the country that are independent solo practitioner advisors and create that community and and then, you know, continue to, as we evolved, attract uh, advisory board members that can continue to help us grow. We've had uh, game-changing advisory board members uh, since day one at Macasio Forms when we decided to uh, grow across Canada. And so we'll just, you know, constantly, who are the people that we need to attract in order to help us make the biggest contribution we can. Um, you know, you, you mentioned 15 years ago uh, around the dinner table and a bottle of wine, you made a decision. So during those, this journey, long journey of 15 years, what were some of your concerns and, and challenges that you had to face and, and overcome? Well, I will say this, the first 90 days when uh, Rob who's my husband and business partner and our COO at Macasio Forms, uh, he quit his job and then I quit my job. In the first 90 days, I literally I just had panic attacks. And I just remember thinking, what have I done? And we have these two little kids and this big mortgage and like, how is this, how is this going to work? And, you know, I didn't think I'd get through that even first 90 days, which I'm such a believer in 90-day plans as a leadership tool because I just got through it because I had a 90-day plan. And then I found people to help me on my 90-day plan to get through it and to give me hope that it was possible to shift to being an entrepreneur and believing in myself and and believing that it's possible to start something from nothing because of the sheer passion of wanting to make a huge contribution to the business community and to business leaders. So, you know, that first 90 days was just a huge, huge learning. It was painful, uh, but I learned so much in the first 90 days. And, and you know what? The other thing was just surround, I learned, surround myself with people who have been there and done that before to give me all the shortcuts and not to try to suck it up and do it all myself. So, uh, you know, I'm such a huge believer in any goal that I set and people set, whether it's business, family, or personal, that if you have a goal and you do not have the name of a person beside that goal that's going to help you, give you all the shortcuts, who's been there and done that before, then you're missing out on the opportunity to achieve your own full potential and to make the biggest contribution that you had. So, so you know, that the early days were really tough and uh, such huge learning that, you know, set us up for longer-term success. And, you know, the biggest bumps in business, and I hear this all day long with our over 100 groups across the country, is mm-hmm. the people issues. It's just, you know, how, how, how do we continue to motivate and inspire people? How do we continue to attract the right talent? It's business about people. That, that's the toughest, bumpiest, and most rewarding and uh, most game-changing part of business. You mentioned two things, uh, 10,000 people around the globe. You mentioned a new uh, uh, kind of uh, group starting in Newfoundland. Um, how often do you update your strategic initiatives? Well, we have uh, an advisory board that we've worked with every step of the way. And mm-hmm. so with each board, we've set like a two-year plan. 
and then we do quarterly 90-day plans with our team. And then before the end of the two years, we're resetting for the next two years. So we're usually having a two-year planning horizon and then quarterly plans to match up with the two-year plan. Mm, I see. Can you share one of the priorities for the next year, for the coming year? Yes, for the coming year is Win Ontario. We Win know Ontario. that uh, Win Ontario because our intentional strategy was to become the dominant player in BC and make all the mistakes here, which is where I'm based and, and where we first started. And, and then once we became the dominant player in BC last year, uh, that's when we decided to take what we learned uh, and now bring it to Ontario. And so now we have over 300 members in Ontario. We're sort of one year into our Win Ontario strategy. And so now we're really poised to go big in Ontario. Hmm. Well, good luck. Um, so, so I have a few more questions. Uh, we're getting uh, near the end of our show. Um, so as a coach now and a mentor, if you had today, and you know, the CEO groups you have are people that already have experience, uh, they run the companies, they own the companies, um, and, and if you had today to mentor someone, a young person that wants to start a business, wants to start to get into the business community, what are some of the do's and don'ts that you recommend? You just mentioned shortcuts so based on experience. What are some of the do's and don'ts that you will recommend to a new uh, person that wants to get into the business world? Well, number one do is find something that you're really passionate about because passion is more important than anything else. So when I've coached like hundreds of CEOs across the country and they're feeling like they want to quit, uh, the number one thing I work with them on is, do you have passion for your business? Do you have passion for what the contribution your business can make? If you have passion, you can figure out, you can learn skills, behaviors, get the experience, what have you. But if you don't have passion, for what you're doing, it's very hard to be incredibly successful. So passion is the number one do, uh, and, and that's key, fundamental to getting started. The don't is try to suck it up and do it all yourself. You know, from day one, whatever idea you have, look for who has been there and done that before as close as possible to what you're doing so that you can get all the shortcuts and learn from other people's mistakes. That's what I love doing. I'd rather learn from other people's mistakes. I've had to learn from all of my mistakes, but it's more fun <laughs> learning from other people's mistakes and, uh, and not you know, reinventing the wheel uh, because in today's world, you can get access to anyone, anywhere, anywhere around the world uh, to give you shortcuts. Uh, but it's having a mindset of who, who else has been there and done that before. So, Nancy, other than the amount of num- of uh, members, whether it's 1,000 or 1,100 or 1,200, is there any other way you measure your success in my case, uh, CEO form success? Well, you know, from my perspective, I just jump out of bed every morning and I'm just so grateful that we have uh, an amazing community of people who want to be the, the best that they can be. <clears throat> they want to achieve mastery. They want to make the biggest contribution. So success is continuing to build a community of 
uh, the best of the best business leaders and forum chairs across this country who are all there to learn from each other, support each other, be the best that they can be. And to me, that's a dream come true. I just, I don't know. I mean, we have all kinds of business metrics and all those things. But for me personally, the fulfillment, and it's my total passion, that's every day I wake up, I'm grateful for for the community that we have. Um. One thing you mentioned earlier, and we are less than four minutes to the end, so we'll have to be quick now on the <laughs> on our questions. Um, how important is it for people that are involved with McKay as, um, I would say, clients, CEOs and, and, and others to be involved also in volunteer work? Because you mentioned you, you did volunteer all over the, all, all the years you were during university and before and after. Yes, we, we uh, became a B Corp last year at McCasey Farms Beneficial Corporation. There's only 250 companies in Canada that are B Corps. And when you become a B Corp, you do it because not only do you want to be the best in the world at what you do, you want to be the best for the world. And so I believe that in today's world of business, the expectation from our customers, our shareholders, our employees, our communities is that we're not just focused on money. We're focused on what can we do to make the world a better place. So a huge commitment to corporate social responsibility. And I think all business leaders, if you're not doing that in today's world, you are not going to win going forward. Nancy, three quick questions to summarize our uh, interview. Um, if I gave you an opportunity to invite two people for lunch, dead or alive, who would you invite? Well, I have to say I married the best husband in the world, so my husband would have to be there with me for lunch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, thought my wife I said really... The same thing. Sorry? I thought my wife said the same thing. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's the truth. And, uh, and I think, you know, the second person, uh, it, would be, it would be tough because I have a, an amazing daughter and uh, an amazing son. And my family is more important to me than anyone else, so we'd have to flip a coin or something like that. So, and and if it's not family members, who are two people that you, you want to be inspired by and, and invite for lunch? Well, I have to think about that. <laughs> we don't um, have time to think. Yeah, about I don't it. know. I, I just like family comes to mind. I can't think of like who who would be. You'll have to interview me again in the future, and I'll have a better answer for you. <laughs> what have you learned about yourself during this long journey? Well, I think that showing up as an inspiring leader every day is a lifelong journey. And every day is a new day to be the best that I can be and to learn and grow. And, and uh, it's compelling for me that I'm so far from being perfect. I've got the rest of my life to, to show up and be the best I can be. So, uh, Nancy, since uh, you're coming to Calgary and uh, we're going to meet tomorrow morning, I want the answer for the two people you're going to run for lunch by tomorrow morning. Is that a deal? All right, then. That's a deal. <laughs> so, we reached uh, the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Thank you, Nancy McKay, founder and CEO of McKay CEO Forms, for being my guest this morning, sharing your journey as well as your experience guiding and supporting many entrepreneurs, CEOs, and key people in different organizations. 
Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, your feedback is important. Uh, dvwallach at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you again, Aaron, my dedicated engineer, and Sasha, my assistant executive producers. producer. I will meet you here next Tuesday, April 30th. Uh, at voiceamerica.com slash variety, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it. 